Thank you for joining us today. At ResLife, our mission is to develop committed followers of Jesus Christ to reach the world. Our content is created to equip and empower you in God's purpose. We hope you enjoy this message. Today, we're going to continue a series of messages that we're doing on the kingdom of God. And I don't know how long we're going to do this, but we're going to do it for a little while. And today's message, I want to explain what's going to happen. There's some stuff I want to get into, but I feel like what we're going to be doing is we're going to be having a Thanksgiving dinner, right? But we have to, first of all, put out a tablecloth, put down some dishes, get out the silverware. We got to get everything ready, right? So today's message is like a get ready for Thanksgiving, all right? But I believe it's really important that we have the biblical foundation for what we believe. So kingdom of God, Jesus appears that like shows up preaching. I mean, he didn't like poof, appear in a puff of smoke, born to the Virgin Mary, grew up baptized by John, the Jordan river. And he begins to preach. And his first message is rethink your life. God's kingdom is here. Rethink your life. Some translations say repent. Rethink your life. God's kingdom is here. In Matthew 13, Jesus gives, in that one day, he gives seven parables. Every one of his parables begin the same way. The kingdom of God is like. Not Christianity is like a kingdom, but it is a kingdom. Jesus said to his disciples in John's gospel, he says, I bestow upon you a kingdom just like my father bestowed a kingdom upon me. What Jesus left us was not religion. What Jesus left us was a kingdom. Jesus said, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. In Acts chapter one, verse three, Jesus is with his disciples. He's risen from the dead. He's with them for 40 days. And the Bible says he speaks to them of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. In Jesus' mind, Christianity is a kingdom. He left us a kingdom. Acts chapter 8, Philip goes down to Samaria. He's preaching Christ to them. It says, as they believe, Philip's preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God. What did they preach? The kingdom. Jesus said, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to all the world, and then the end will come. Right. So what Jesus has left us is a kingdom. And you and I are part of his kingdom. So Colossians chapter 1 and verse 12. Who has made it possible for you to claim your share of the inheritance with the saints in the kingdom of light. So he says here that what has happened is God has qualified you. You are not qualified because of the things that you've done or haven't done, but you are qualified because God has qualified you for your share of the inheritance. Different translation. Always thankful to the Father who has made us fit to share all the wonderful things that belong to those in the kingdom of light. So, we as believers, we have a inheritance that we have received. God says 
He qualifies us. Now, here's the thing. So often what happens is we condemn ourselves. In fact, the Bible tells us in 1 John that you need to reassure your heart, right? Because your heart will often condemn you, right? You'll look back at the things that you've done wrong. You'll look back to the places you've missed it. You'll look at the things that you haven't done and you will feel condemned. But the Bible says you need to assure your heart. When your heart condemns you, you need to talk to your heart. And you need to say, heart, listen to me. He that knew no sin became sin for me that I might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. I do not qualify because of the things I've done. I qualify because of the things that he has done. All right. Then the 13th verse, who has rescued us out of the power of darkness and established us as citizens in the kingdom of his beloved son. So he has taken us out from under Satan's dominion, his kingdom, and he has made you a citizen in the kingdom of his beloved son. Uh, the, the regular King James Bible says he's translated us. How many ever saw Star Trek? Right? Kirk would go, Scotty, beam us up. Right? And, and they just disappear in one place and show up there in the transporter room. Well, literally, that's what God did to you. He took you from the kingdom of darkness and he translated you into the kingdom of the son of his love. Jordan's translation, sometimes referred to as the cotton patch translation. It says, it was the father who sprang us from the jailhouse of darkness and turned us loose into the new world of his beloved son. I love that jailbreak. All right, because of, what's, well, because of what Adam and Eve did, we were in prison. But God had a prison break. And he got us out from under that jailhouse of darkness. And look, he turned us loose into the kingdom of his beloved son. In that new world, he turned you loose. It, how many of you have ever stood even on the shore of Lake Michigan? Right? And you look out there and as far as you can see, there's water. Now, when we get into the kingdom of God, he turns us loose. And however much we can enjoy the kingdom and receive the benefits of the kingdom, there is so much more. It's like a sea that's out there. He turns us loose and says, go for it right? in this kingdom, because there's benefits for being in the kingdom. In fact, King David 3,000 years ago, said, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all my iniquities, who heals all my diseases, who redeems my life from destruction, who satisfies my mouth with good things so that my youth is renewed like the eagles. He's talking about the benefits of being in the kingdom. So we're in this kingdom. We've been translated out from darkness under Satan's domain into the kingdom of the son of his love. When we typically think about Christianity, people don't think about it as a kingdom, about being translated out from under Satan's domain and brought into the kingdom of the son of his love. Uh, even the best known verse in the Bible, John 3.16, I mean, everybody knows John 3.16. I mean, people that don't even know it's in the Bible know John 3.16. 
All right. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Those two words, everlasting life. In, in the Greek, there's just one word. And it only has three letters, Z-O-E. If you think about it, you probably know somebody who's named their daughter in the last 15 years, Z-O-E, Zoe. Common name for girls, right? Well, it's a Greek word, and it's translated everlasting life. And so what we Christians, and I've said it, you've probably heard it said, receive Jesus and you'll live forever. How many have heard somebody say that? And it's true. But if you don't receive Jesus, you will also live forever. It's just a matter of where you're going to live. Some people are going to live forever in his presence. Other people are going to live forever separated from his presence. But everybody lives forever. So, Zoe, what does, it, what does the word actually mean? Uh, E.W. Vine's Expository Dictionary, which is recognized in any, any uh, house of, of higher learning, in, in Christendom, says it this way. Zoe is used in the New Testament of life as a principle, life in the absolute sense, life as God has life. That which the Father has in himself, which he gave to the incarnate Son to have in himself, and then which the Son gave to true believers to have in themselves. So, Eternal life is something you receive from God, and it's the very life that God has. It's the life that he gave to Jesus, and then the Bible says it's the life that he, Jesus, has given to us believers. I've got here my translator's New Testament. Um, I've got several of them. Uh, not too long ago, uh, one of our friends contacted us and, and said, hey, uh, can you, can, how can I get a translator's New Testament? Now, it's been out of print for a while. And so my, my assistant went online to find one, and she found him one for $1,500. We found them cheaper, and we bought all of them for our, for our friends, all right? But uh, so if you were to move to South America, and you went into the deepest part of the jungles of Brazil and found a group of people, a tribe, that no one had ever reached, and you went and lived with them and learned their language. And then you took their language and you wrote it out, created an alphabet, taught them to read. When you were going to translate the Bible into their language, this is what you would be given right here. A translator's New Testament. It's full of all sorts of helps for translators. Right? So in the back, where it gives all the helps for the translators, because they recognize often translators make mistakes. So here's what it says about Eternal life, Zoe. In the New Testament, eternal life is the kind of life which is given to all true believers in Christ. The word eternal, listen, draws attention to the quality of that life, not its duration in a temporal sense. So when it says eternal life, it's not talking about how long it lasts. It's talking about where it comes from. It comes from the eternal one. Now, does it last forever? Yes, it absolutely lasts forever. But the life that you're given is not called eternal life because it lasts forever. 
It's called eternal life because it comes from the eternal one, from the eternal God realm. God gives you the same life that he has in himself, that he gave to his son Jesus to have in himself. So we have to be careful. The quality of life, not its duration in a temporal sense. Thus, eternal life can be experienced by believers even while subject to the temporal conditions of earthly life. So you can have eternal life in you while you're facing problems and situations and giants and mountains. And while you're living right now, right, you have that eternal life. Translators should be careful to avoid expressions that mean no more than a timeless continuation of life after death. Because eternal life does not begin when you die. Eternal life, God's life, comes into you the moment you receive Jesus as the Lord of your life and are translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the Son of his love. Even 3,000 years ago, King David is writing the 23rd Psalm, and he says, he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Do you know what's on that table? Listen, there's some victory on that table. There's peace on that table. There's joy on the table. There's deliverance on the table. There's provision on the table. And I'm telling there's bread on the table. There's some bread. And in the New Testament, Jesus said that healing is the children's bread. So there's healing on the table and there's victory and there's deliverance and there's provision on the table because salvation doesn't begin when you die. Salvation, eternal life, the life of God comes into you instantly when you're translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the son of his love. All right Now, a kingdom is really the place where the king's domain is. That's where the kingdom is. And the kingdom of God operates through the word of the king. That's the Bible. We can say it this way. The Bible is spiritual law. It is the law of the kingdom. And by the way, when you have a kingdom, it infers a government. You can't have a kingdom without a government. In fact, in Isaiah 9, it says this, for unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given and the government, what's going to be on his shoulders? The, the government will be on his shoulders and his name will be called Wonderful Counsel, where Almighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. And upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish, to, to, to order it, to establish it with judgment and justice from this time forward and forevermore, and the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Now, you and I, we are part of that kingdom, right? Ephesians 3, 6 says that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs. So we're an heir within the kingdom of God. In fact, Romans 8 says it more specifically. It says, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. You are a joint heir with Christ. Now, Ephesians just takes the first part and says, you're heirs. Well, Romans 8 says, yeah, you're heirs, verse 17, but you're more than an heir, you're a joint heir. You say, well, what in the world is the difference? Okay. Well, Jeannie and I, we have four children. And if, suppose we got hit by the beer truck, all right? And 
If our children are heirs, there's four of them, they take our stuff and they divide it four ways. But if they're joint heirs, then all our stuff belongs to every one of them. It doesn't get divided. So when you're a, by the way, you're a joint heir with who? With Christ. How many of you know he's not broke? He's kind of blessed, sitting up in heavenly places with all authority, power, dominion, and name, not only in this world, but in the name to come underneath his feet. You are a joint heir with him. So being a joint heir means this, that when somebody gets something, it doesn't mean there's anything less for you. It doesn't, there's no less because somebody receives something, right? If it's divided up in many parts, you get less. But when you're a joint heir, everything that's there is for you. And you are a joint heir with you. In other words, everything that's for Jesus is for you. You are a joint heir with Christ. You are part of the kingdom. So stop begging. Because the Father has qualified you for your share of the inheritance. Colossians 1, verse 12. You have legal rights. You're a citizen, right? You are not a part of the earth-cursed survival system any longer. But you're a part of the kingdom of God. So we're going to go back to the book of Genesis, right? Now, most people think about the Bible in a nutshell as being John 3.16, and in some ways that's really is true, right? But the most important parts of your Bible are Genesis 3, Genesis 12, Genesis 15, and Genesis 22, right? Uh, if, you, if you can understand those three chapters, the truths that are laid out in those, excuse me, those four chapters of the Bible, uh, you, you, will, you, you will have a grasp that 99% of Christians do not have and cannot have without understanding those things in Genesis. But we're going to go back all the way to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So the Lord God made man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. So you were created to have dominion. That's what you were created for. Let him have dominion. Then God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God said, let them rule. Let them rule. The New Testament says it like this. This is uh, Hebrews 2. You have made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor. You have set him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that you put all things in subjection under him. You left nothing that was not put under him. But now we do not yet see all things put under him. So in the beginning, God put everything under Adam and Eve's rule. But right now we don't see everything under his rule. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 15, it says that God took the man, he put him in the garden. Most of your translations say to cultivate, to keep it. Um, the older Amplified translation says to guard. I love that. To guard. 
into chaos. Who was he to guard the garden from? Yeah, the devil. That's who he was to guard it from. So man had jurisdiction over the entire earth. He was God's sub-ruler. Satan comes, tempts Adam and Eve. They bow their knee to Satan. And literally what Satan did is he took the authority, the dominion that Adam and Eve had, and he began to use that dominion because they had bowed their knee to him. In fact, when Jesus is tempted in the New Testament, Luke's gospel, chapter four, the devil taking him into a high mountain or a high place, shows him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, all this authority or dominion, I will give you and their glory for it has been delivered to me and I give it to whomsoever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship me, all will be yours. Now, notice a couple of things. He said all the kingdoms of the world and their glory had been delivered to him. Who did that? Adam and Eve did that when they bowed their knee to Satan. And notice he said, and I can give it to whomsoever I wish. He said that dominion is transferable. He said, Adam, God transferred it to Adam. Adam transferred it to me. And if you'll worship me, I'll transfer it to you. Now, if he's lying, there's no temptation. But there's a temptation. Because Satan had all of that dominion. He got it when man and woman bowed their knee to Satan. Which is why the Bible says, 1 John 5, 19, for we know for a fact that we are of God. And the whole world around us lies under the power of the evil one, opposing God and his precepts. The whole world lies in the power of who? The evil one. Romans 5, 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, thus death spread to all men because all sin. When Adam and Eve bowed their knee to Satan, death, sin, sickness, disease, prejudice, war, famine, every evil thing we can think of, it came in. Satan took that power, that dominion that man had. So Hebrews 12, verse 14, this one's worthwhile looking at. You got a Bible? You got your, your, your device? Look at this. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, you live in a flesh and blood body. He, Jesus, himself likewise shared in the same. Jesus came in a flesh and blood body like yours. That through death, listen, he might destroy him who had the power of death. That is the devil. Now, listen to me. Listen careful. Who had the power of death according to the Bible? Who, who had the power of death? Destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, just in case you missed it. Who had the power of death? One more time. Who had the power of death? How many of you have heard, why, didn't God, why, why did God take them? Why did God kill them? How many heard that? Who had the power of death? The, the devil. The Bible says in, in 1 Corinthians 15, the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. Now, Jesus has already done everything that's necessary. In the book of Revelation, it says he's got the keys of Hades and of death. Right? But if you, can, if you can picture it this way, this will, this will help you. 
God creates the earth and he gives it to man. Figure like he gives man a lease. But when Satan came and took that dominion, it's like Satan got a sublease from the devil. And Satan became, as the Bible said here, he began, he's the one through whom the world or the whole world lies under his power, his dominion, right? Because Adam let him in, right? So now he is, the Bible says, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, the God, small g, of this world. Jesus said the prince of this world's coming. The prince of this world is coming. Speaking of the devil, he said, he has nothing in me. Ephesians 2, 2, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. He's called a prince. He's called the ruler, right? And it's all the result of man's sin. Back Genesis chapter three, man has sinned. God says this, cursed is the ground because of, because of who? Because of you, Adam. You're the one that let all this problems in. Cursed is the ground because of you. And notice it says, through painful toil, you will eat food, all right? Now, the earth was under Adam's jurisdiction. That's why he says, because of you, because of what you've done, these things have come into this world, all right? And notice he says, painful toil. He says, through painful toil, all right? Other translation says, you'll be working in pain all your life. Another translation, you will eat from it through painful, pain-filled labor for the rest of your life. Now, I, I do have good news for you because you have been translated out from under the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the son of his love. And there you are no longer under that pain-filled, cursed system on the earth. And we will, in uh, the weeks to come, we will take a very close look at some of those things. Hebrews 2, verse 7. If you made him a little lower than the angels, you crowned him with glory and honor. You set him over all the works of your hands and you put all things in subjection under his feet, right? So that was Adam's original position. Satan came, usurped that authority, took it when he bowed his knee, right? As a man, a human being, we still have authority in the earth, right? But it has been under Satan's domain. But that's why you got translated out from under the kingdom of darkness, Psalms 115 says, the heavens, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth he has given to the children of men. So when Adam and Eve sinned, it was like God was looking on the, he was on the outside. The earth is the Lord's, the fullness thereof, the sea and all that dwell therein. He owned it, but he had given dominion to man who in turn gave dominion to Satan. And God's looking from the outside. John Wesley said this, it seems like God does nothing in the earth without a man asking him. It seems like he's saying, unless a man who's in the kingdom of God says something to God, it seems like God is just on the outside. It seems like he does nothing. So Genesis chapter 12. All right. That was our introduction for today's message. So here we get to the meat. Genesis 12, verse one. Now the Lord has said to Abram, get out from your country, from your family, from your father's house to a land I'll show you. And I will make you a great nation. Very important. I will bless you and I'll make your name great and you'll be a blessing. I will bless those who curse you. This is God's foreign policy today. I will bless those who bless you. 
I will curse those who curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Listen, everything's God's doing in the, in theological circles, they call this eschatology. Everything God's doing in the earth today and in the end times all goes back to Genesis 12, Genesis 15 and Genesis 22, right? That's where it all goes back to. So God says, I'll bless those who bless you. I'll curse those who curse you, right? That's why as Christians, we bless Israel. We stand with Israel. We bless Jewish people. We stand with Jewish people. God says, you bless them, I'll bless you. He says, you curse them, I will curse you. All right. Now, in uh, what, what theologians call hermeneutics, which just means Bible interpretation. When you interpret the Bible, there is something that is referred to as double reference. All right. The principle of double reference. So you look at something, and yeah, it's true about one thing, but it's also true about another thing. Now, when God said, I will make you a great nation, right? It's true about Israel, right? God has promises to the nation of Israel, right? And what we see happening today in the Middle East, in times, all of it, listen, all of it has to do with Israel, all of it. However, this is a scripture which has double reference because God said to Abraham, he says, your children are going to be like the sand of the sea, but they're also going to be like the stars of the heavens. So he has a heavenly spiritual seed, and he also has a natural seed. So there is, God says, I'll make you a great nation, Israel. But he's got another nation, and it's called the church. In 1 Peter 2, 9, it says this, but you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. So there's not just a physical nation. There is a spiritual nation or kingdom. All right? And you and I, we are part of that spiritual nation. Right? So Abraham, back in Genesis, 4,000 years ago, he was looking for what you and I are looking for. Right? The Bible says this in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 10. His eyes of faith were set on the city with unshakable foundations, whose architect and builder is God. King James, he was looking for a city, looking for a city. He was waiting for this city whose builder and maker is God. So Abraham was looking for a city. Revelation chapter 21 says it this way. Then I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her children or for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and he'll dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death nor sorrow nor crying. There will be no more pain for the former things have passed away. Then he who sits on the throne said, behold, I make all things new. And he said, right, for these words are true and faithful. And he saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Abraham was looking for the heavenly city, the new Jerusalem. And here's the crazy thing. Most Christians think, hey, I'm going to die. I'm going to go there. And you are, but it's temporary. It is temporary. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But you're not staying there. When God moves and his city moves, 
and comes down to earth, you're coming with it. And Abraham, 4,000 years ago, was looking for that city. That's where his faith was, right? And the Bible says he believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. It's amazing how so many of us today are still missing it. We're still thinking, well, I'm going to go someplace, right? But Jesus said, pray your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, we just, we're just thinking God wants to get us away someplace. But God says, no, 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 no. My kingdom is for now. My eternal life does not start someday when your body dies and you go someplace. No, my eternal life starts right now. And, and as far as eternity goes, if your body dies, you get hit by the beer truck. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But you're not going to stay out there because out there is not staying there. Out there is coming back. And listen, I love this world. I should say this earth, right? I love this earth, but it's cursed. But God's making a new one. And there is no more curse. And it will be the most wonderful, glorious, beautiful thing that you and I could ever even imagine. And that's what he's prepared for those that love him. But he doesn't want us to think about our salvation as being someplace we go to. He wants us to think of our salvation as something that's happening right now. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth. The Bible says you're a citizen of that kingdom. It says you're an ambassador of that kingdom. And wherever you go, you bring the salt and the light of the kingdom of God. Jesus said, you're a city set on a hill. That, and your light says you don't put it under a bushel. He says, you don't hide it. He said, your light, it goes forth from you and it dispels the kingdom of darkness. Say, so would you please bow your heads for just a moment? And if you came with someone, if you could take their hand, that would be great. Now, again, in our culture, people are under, this is the general impression that good people will go to heaven. The Bible does not say good people go to heaven. The Bible says forgiven people go to heaven. See, there's just one way to get to heaven, and it's not your way or my way. It's God's way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. All my efforts to do right won't make me right with God. All of your efforts to do good things will not make you right with God. So Jesus said, you must be born again. Be taken out of the kingdom of darkness and taken into the kingdom of the son of, of his love. You say, how does it happen? Well, it happens when you give Jesus all of your heart and all of your life. When, when you receive him as your king and you receive what he did for you at the cross, that his blood paid for your sin. See, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. So often we try to put it off, but the Bible says today, if you hear his voice today, if the spirit of God is nudging you, if there's a pull on your heart, today is your day. 
Now, salvation is not about what you know. We all know about God and a celebrated Christmas and Easter. But salvation is about your, your heart, not your head. It's, salvation is about your heart. Have you given your heart and your life to Jesus? He won't trick you into giving it. He won't manipulate you. He's not a thief to steal your heart. And if you have not given him your heart and your life, you still have it. And you need to give it to Jesus. He said, you must be born again. So today, if you're not right with God, if you're away from God, I I want you to pray this prayer together with us. We're all going to pray this prayer out loud. I want you to make these words your own. I want you to repeat this. Just say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. And I believe he rose again. Victorious over death, sin, and the devil. And I give him all of my heart and all of my life. I receive him as my king and my Lord. And I'm going to live for him. I thank you for putting me in the kingdom of God. And that I am yours today and forever. In Jesus' name. Amen. We hope what you heard today has been encouraging and given you new insight into the Word of God. We upload weekly, so join us again next time. Be blessed and enjoy your week.